All right, welcome again. My name is uh, Brian Sorgan Fry. I'm the campus minister here. I don't. Are uh, is Ben, Kaylee, and uh, Ben, Kaylee, and uh, Maddie in here? Are you? Uh, they're all they're in the lobby. Here, we also have interns uh, who are awesome staff. So we're here to uh, we're here to serve you. Um, here's what we're going to do this semester. We are going to, uh, as long as we're able, uh, go through uh, the Gospel of Matthew. And uh, it's what we do most semesters. We just walk through a book of the Bible believing that Scripture uh, should shape the way that we think uh, and experience things. And the introduction of Matthew itself, uh, it gives us something about Jesus that, sh- that claims that He's the hero of the world. But it's actually a little upside down. Um, think about the way that um, right now, especially if you're a freshman or you're just back, The way that you introduce yourself, right? This is happening every day. Somebody says, what's your name? Where are you from? And what you start doing is you start kind of throwing out facts about yourself that that you hope will ingratiate yourself to someone, that you hope will make somebody like you. And you try to kind of hide the bad stuff, right? If somebody, uh, you know, asks where you're from and you're from kind of a a small town in Texas that you're scared nobody's going to know about, you'll just say, I'm from Dallas. And nobody will know it's really like two hours away from Dallas. Or, you know, if you, if you went to Jackson Prep like I did, you kind of wonder, should I share that? Or will somebody think I'm a snob? And so you hide that information. What, or if I have an embarrassing past. Or, or somebody in my family that's, that's really embarrassing. I, I just hope nobody discovers that. And the way that Matthew introduces Jesus to us tonight, it's actually through a genealogy. And then his birth story. And what I mean by the fact that when you're introduced to the hero Jesus being so upside down... It's weird. Because a genealogy in these ancient Near Eastern times, it was your resume. Like, family was everything. And so what you would do, is anybody that was embarrassing in your family lineage, you just kind of erased and didn't talk about? And you only talked about the people that were good. And if you think about this, if Jesus really is who He claims to be, if He's God Himself, He's the only person in the whole universe that could actually control His family tree. But then as you read the genealogy, you realize it's so upside down. That that the people in his genealogy are really messed up. But maybe that's the point. So let me me read for us Matthew 1. Caroline's already prayed for us. And it'll also be on the screen, alright? The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. And Judah, the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar. And Perez, the father of Hezron. And Hezron, the father of Ram. And Ram, the father of Aminadab. And Aminadab, the father of Nashon. And Nashon, the father of Salmon. And Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab. And Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth. And Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. And I'm going to skip to verse 16. And Jacob was the father of... But the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who was called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as she considered these things, behold, as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. 
She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sons. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and he took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. The grass withers, the flowers fade, the word of our God stands forever. All right. If this is the entrance of the hero, two things tonight. Um, we all need a hero. And who, who did Jesus come for? Who did the hero come for? So we need it. Who did he come for? All right, first, the need of a hero. The genealogy begins the book, and usually, if you're like me, you just kind of scan through all those names, and you start with what we feel like is the good stuff. But the genealogy is telling the reader something. Right? It, talks, it wants you to know that it begins with Abraham because it wants you to know that Jesus is connected to Abraham. Why? Because if you go back to the Old Testament, God makes a promise in Genesis 12 that He says, through Abraham's family, through his descendants, the whole world is going to be blessed and healed. That's what it says. And so you can think of the Old Testament this way, this you know, big three-fourths of your Bible. The genealogy covers the, this big part of your Bible that's telling this story. The world is really broken. The world is a sin and death-dominated, twisted world. And we can't fix it. And all throughout the Old Testament, people keep waiting for, for, for a hero from Abraham's family that's going to fix what's wrong with this world, that's going to heal the nations. And Matthew says it's finally here. The, long, the long-awaited hero that is going to bless the world and heal it after all this waiting, Jesus, he's here. And that's the first thing that I, I guess I would say embrace. We know this. A hero is only needed, right, when a situation or a problem is too big for, for you to handle. Right? You never see, um, you never see like, Iron Man uh, come and help little Timmy who broke his arm on the way to school. You know, he takes him to the hospital. You never see that. Instead, the Avengers, right, they show up when something's gotten so out of control, too big of a problem that nobody can handle it anymore. That's what a hero does. Handles things for you that you cannot handle. And this is the principle. Your need for Jesus, your need for the hero, you ready, will always be directly proportional to your understanding of just how unmanageable and big the problem is. That's it. So my question is this. Have you felt it? Have you felt how unmanageable the brokenness of this world is? Have you felt how dark even, even your own heart can get that you can't fix it? On the one hand, right, I guess this is a small advantage of the pandemic, maybe, is we've just kind of had to admit the world is really dark and broken and we can't fix it. I mean, just today, there's this like sizable hurricane bearing down on uh, Texas and Louisiana that nobody can, can stop. There's like systemic and racial injustice that's running deep through our country and we can't heal it. There's just overwhelming things that you began to feel them this summer because you, you had to look at it and politicians, whatever, will, will they'll propose solutions. I'm not saying things can't be improved, but it cannot be ultimately fixed. And that's just not on a grand scale. Like, like reduce it to Ole Miss. Like, just your life in circles. Like, the Greek system is, is broken. It just is. It's great. It's broken. And you can't fix it. And Ole Miss right now is trying to mitigate a pandemic, right, to protect people with rules and guidelines that are important, they're keeping people safe, and it's hurting people, right? It, it, it's also causing a social and mental health crisis. 
Like, Ole Miss needs a hero. RUF is broken. You'll figure that out. We might can keep this charade up for like a week, but you'll eventually realize this place is messed up. But then when you reduce it down to your kind of our individual selves, the brokenness can almost get overwhelming, right? Like the anxiety that weighs on you, the social pressure that just follows you around, and I just I can't shake it. And then that truth that when I look inside myself, at least myself, what I see is there's real guilt and shame. And I, we all have it. And again, I, it's kind of uncool to talk about uh, that, but in a nor- it's normal in this kind of world to have, to have guilt and shame. It just is. Now, it can be washed away. It can be healed. We'll talk about that. But to deny the existence of guilt and shame will not fix it. And so guess what I would ask you to consider is, have you recognized your own need for a hero? Yes, to heal this broken world, to heal all this. But have you realized that you cannot fix yourself? And that's what's hard. Because most of the times when we realize the problems aren't just out there, but the problems are in here, that I'm part of the problem, we do one of two things. I either numb myself to that reality by distracting myself or by substance abuse or by getting busy because I just don't want to feel my problems. Or we try to be our own hero and we just try to make ourselves better. And we work hard at perfecting some part of myself so that I feel like, okay, I'll become more funny, I'll make better grades, I'll be successful. But Matthew's saying, look at history. The solution is actually going to be outside of you. It's going to be in a hero that came into real history to deal with sin and darkness and death. Do you see that? Do you feel your need? And then the question comes, okay, so who did, who did this hero come from? And all I want to do is look at a few names with you. Because part of the genealogy's purpose is to show you that, yes, Jesus actually came in real history. It's not make-believe kind of ideas that you try on. It's a person that came into a real dark and broken world to meet with and heal real dark and broken people. But the genealogy, Jesus is saying, hey, these are my people. This is, these are the people that I came for. And Jesus has women in this genealogy, which in, in a culture that's so strong in patriarchy, like no one did that. But Jesus says, I want to. And Matthew puts him in there. And so first you read about this woman named Tamar in verse 3. You can read about Tamar in Genesis 38. Uh, It is unbelievably sad. It's unbelievably stomach-turning. If you grew up around the Bible, it probably skipped over this passage. Because Tamar is just a woman who her whole life she's used and abused. She's twice married, twice left, left a widow because her husbands were so wicked. They were struck down. And then the father-in-law, who's supposed to in that culture protect her and provide for her, actually lies to her, sends her away, and leaves her to fend uh, for herself. And so Tamar's life is just this train wreck, and it wasn't her fault. The people that should have taken care of her, the people um, that were there to love her, actually hurt her, used her, and oppressed her. Things get so bad in her life that in an effort of just desperate self-preservation, she dresses up like a prostitute and seduces her father-in-law. And that night she becomes pregnant with her father-in-law, with twins, and one of those is Perez, who ends up being in the genealogy of Jesus. Why? Why would Matthew make sure Tamar is mentioned? A woman who personally and systemically is sinned against and abused to the point of desperation. Because Matthew's saying, I want you to see the kind of hero Jesus is. He proudly identifies with people who have been sinned against. He says, I've come to rescue you. And we, I don't think we talk about this enough. Uh, 
Living in a broken and dark, dark world means that many of you tonight, you've been really sinned against. Like you're a victim. People should, who should have taken care of you, who should have stood up for you, instead hurt you and manipulated you and abused you. And the pain is awful. There's an author named Paul Miller. I think Maddie should make this illustration. Um, who, who talks about uh, his friend Tim who was in a wheelchair because he had MS for most of his life. And so he was in a wheelchair for 40 years. But then his co-workers betrayed him one time, brought up all kinds of false charges, made his life miserable. And when Paul asked him what was worse, living for 40 years in a wheelchair or being betrayed by your friend, and, he's, and without, a, without a, like an instant of doubt, he said, by far being betrayed. That's how deep the pain run, it runs. Because you know this. If you're a victim, you feel guilt and shame. You feel hurt and darkness. Maybe even feel dirty like Tamar. And it wasn't your fault. And you need to know that. But the pain is so deep that on the one hand, what you'll find is that you rage, and you probably should, because there's been real evil done to you, and you're crying out for justice, for someone to protect you and make it right. And at the same time, you probably start thinking, maybe God is against me. Maybe He thinks I'm dirty. Maybe He doesn't uh, care for me. And Jesus puts Tamar in His genealogy to say, if you've been bruised and broken by other people's evil... If you feel shame, you're mine. If you trust me, you'll find you're mine. Because, verse 23, he's Emmanuel. God with us. You need a hero that is not removed from you, that's kind of observing the injustice. You need someone who will actually come into this world and become a victim. And know what it's like to be you. And you see hints of it, right? Mary is a virgin and she's conceived with the help of the Holy Spirit. That's weird, right? Ask yourself, do you think anybody believed besides Joseph when Mary was walking around pregnant, she's like, I promise I'm a virgin. Do you think anybody believes that? No. She was probably scoffed at and ridiculed and rejected. And what you see is that Jesus in the womb even is a part of somebody who is being uh, uh, oppressed and rejected. And then his whole life, he has sinned against until his life ends with him on a cross, experiencing the greatest injustice the world will ever see as a purely innocent man hangs naked, a symbol of shame. Which means when you cry out to this hero as a victim, he knows the pain. And he's with you. And he'll walk with you. And the hero is God. Which means he has the wisdom and power to bring exact justice and he will one day. You need a hero. And that can give you living hope. So he's, he's, he's for the sinned against. Then you have somebody named Rahab in verse 5. You can read about her in Joshua 2. Here's all you need to know. She is a prostitute in the land of Canaan, which was a culture so twisted that they were sacrificing their children on altars. And so she is a prostitute in a dark city in a wicked land. My guess is this. Rahab has a more publicly immoral life than anybody in this room. And you know why I think that? Because most people with Rahab's life don't show up at campus ministries. I wish they would. Like, it's actually for you, but they think there's no way. So why does Jesus include Rahab? Because He wants you to show you that He's proud to be with her. That He's a hero that comes for those who have made a train wreck of their life, and it's their fault. And all of us have things in our past that haunt us. 
Things that bring this kind of sense of shame and guilt that I don't want anybody to know. And it might even happen this week that behind closed doors there are things you're doing uh, privately that you hope nobody figures out. And what happens is we promise to never do it again or we get together some kind of new accountability group or devotional plan, but you start realizing it doesn't heal your past sin and shame. It's not bringing forgiveness. It doesn't remove the shame. It honestly just creates a cycle. I've learned this from my friends in recovery. Right? They wake up in the, mor- in the morning hungover. They feel terrible. And you think, oh, then I'll stop doing this. No. When you feel terrible, guess what you do? You go back to what makes you feel good. And you go back to the substance. You go back to the thing. And the shame cycle continues. It happens when you hook up. Whatever it is. We just keep going back to those things. And we need a hero that can make us new. And again, I know this is strange, but when the Holy Spirit is the one that helps bring about Jesus in Mary's womb, again, that's weird to us. But if you were a Jewish person reading that, that told you something. Because every Jewish person knew that when the Holy Spirit hovered over something, like in Genesis 1, it's bringing about new creation. And what's being said is that Jesus is the new humanity. He's the new creation. He's the new beginning. And He'll end up on a cross crying out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because He'll take the punishment that we deserve for our sin. And then when He's resurrected, He's saying, You can have a new beginning. That in Christ, trusting Him, you're a new creation. And Jesus is the hero that doesn't just kind of make you a better you. He makes you new. Sin removed forever. Placed on Jesus. So much so that I remember a pastor talking about when he kept counseling uh, this woman in his church and she kept coming back and kept coming back and kept bringing over. She just cut, she could not get over this thing that she had done. It was just weighing on her. And finally, like after the fifth time, the pastor looked at her and said, it was actually an abortion she had had, uh, and she said, I just, I just can't forgive myself for this abortion. And he looked at her and said, what abortion? And she was kind of like shocked and confused. And then she saw him smiling. And then he explained to her, but you might keep bringing this up, but Jesus doesn't. If you keep bringing it up, Jesus is going to say, what abortion? What sin? What fill in the blank? It's been removed. You're new. And so he's, Jesus is a hero of those who've been sinned against. He's the hero of those with with kind of a truckload of, of sin and shame. And then, and then it mentions Ruth. There's a whole book of the Bible devoted to Ruth. We'll read it in our, in our uh, reading plan together. But all you need to know is she's a, she's a Moabite. Biblical word for that? Gentile. Our cultural word for that? She's one of those people. She's an outsider. She's an ethnic, social, and religious outsider. She's on the margins. She was, she was the unwanted person. And Jesus puts Ruth in his genealogy to show what kind of hero he is. That he came for the outsiders. He came for the marginalized. Because this hero, the outsider actually in with him. And the in actually find themselves on the outside. He came to rescue and receive those who feel like they're unwanted. And he's proud to be associated with them. Robin Williams one time said that he used to think the worst thing in the world was being alone. He said, but actually, the worst thing in the world is being surrounded by people that make you feel alone. Experienced that yet? It's actually worse to have tons of people around you that make you feel isolated. And I don't think I have to press in on the pain tonight of like loneliness and of, and of being unwanted. It's, it's thick. Ole Miss floats on social connection and knowing the right people. And I, I love this place. 
But what ends up happening is you feel overtly or subtly, uh, subtly excluded and basically told you're not wanted. That can be you find out I didn't get invited to this thing that I thought I was going to, or you can be explicitly told that, and it's painful. And a lot of times we'll do anything, anything, so I don't feel like I'm on the outside. I'll change my behavior. I'll change the kind of person that I am. Just let me in. And the lie is this. I, feel, I begin to feel like if I don't fit in with people, if I'm unwanted, then of course before the God who is holy and good, I'm unwanted. But that's not the hero Jesus. Think about the hero Jesus. He had the ultimate inner ring. God the Son, the Holy Spirit, the Father. It is the ultimate inner ring. He had all power, all riches, and He came down. But who does he come to? A poor woman. An unwed mother named Mary. And if you, if you read in Luke, the only people that show up to his birth, you know who it is? It's a bunch of outcast shepherds. That's it. And ultimately, Jesus' life is going to end by being excluded by God the Father as he wears our sin. Why? So that he could bring you in to be his child. See, whether you've been on the outside because of your personality or uh, because of looks or because of race or because of lack of social or financial resources, Jesus came to flip everything around. I'm telling you. Jesus came to bring the walls down and ignite this kingdom that would bring down every other wall. And the hope, and again, we're broken, but the hope is that RUF is actually a place where the normal walls that separate and create tears will be broken down because Jesus saves you by grace. And so he's the hero for those who have been sinned against. He's the hero for those with really shameful past. And he's, he's the hero for outsiders. And lastly, man, there's Bathsheba. Verse, verse 6. Interesting, her name isn't used if you really look at it. But it says, David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. It wants you to know that David fathered a son by another man's wife. Matthew's emphasizing this point that Uriah... Look, Uriah, if you read uh, this in Samuel, Uriah is one of David's best friends. And David sees Bathsheba and lusts over her and uses his power to get her and gets her pregnant. And David, in a panic mode, then actually has Uriah murdered to try to cover it up. And this is King David. Like, King David wrote a large portion of the Old Testament. King David was like what we would call a good guy. King David was a better, though they wouldn't use this term, he was a better Christian than I am, and than you are, I promise. And David has tons of kids. This is really interesting. Jesus chooses a kid from this adulterous relationship. David's biggest failure. And he says, yeah, that's my people. And there's something beautiful about this, because what Jesus is saying is, I'm the kind of hero that came to rescue people, you ready? Who still struggle with sin after they're a Christian. I'm the kind of hero who came for people who still blow it big time even though they're trying to follow Jesus. Right? Because the angel looks at Joseph and says, you will call him Jesus. Which means the Lord says, because he will save their people from their sins. This is such good news. Jesus is not a hero that just comes and kind of give, forgives you of your past sins and gives you a blank slate to start over. He saves people from all their sins, past, present, and future. When he dies on the cross, he cries out, It is finished. What's finished? All the work required to bring you into a loving, accepted relationship with the God of this universe. He did it all. All sins forgiven. Today, uh, tomorrow, 20 years from now, and all of His righteousness given to you. He doesn't just drop a clean slate. 
He's with you and says nothing. Like nothing can separate you from my love. And if you don't get this, you will keep trying to become your own hero. You will think that your struggles with sin somehow jeopardize your relationship with Jesus or at least, here, or at least bring out frustration and disappointment from Jesus. And I'll think, gosh, I, I should be better than this. But that's not what it's like. I'll kind of bring it to close here. Like, we have some friends who, who had a child who was born severely disabled, uh, cerebral palsy. And they have spent four years and lots of money and lots of therapy to try to get him walking on his own. And they released this video basically a week ago where they're just like, okay, it's time. It's time. Like he's got to try to walk across the street by himself. Of course, I mean, they're right next to him on a crosswalk. And, and as you're watching him, like he's, he's stumbling, right? He's barely doing it. But he makes it. And when he makes it, it is like celebration. Because he's come so far. And then because he's, he's been kind of bruised and disabled by, by cerebral palsy. The, the disease actually brings out the parent's compassion, right? Do you realize this? Jesus loves you better than that parent. That our sin struggles actually bring out the compassion and tenderness of God. Do you believe that? That if you're, if you're His, He's so glad that you're His. He's so glad that you're struggling. He's, as you stumble and fall, He's cheering you on and saying, man, you've come so far. I'm so proud of you. And there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. And that actually frees you to struggle. It frees you to doubt. We say this RUF a lot. We want to be a safe place to struggle with doubt, sin, because Jesus is good. That's what Jesus is like. Alright, this is how Matthew introduces you to Jesus. The hero. The, the one who came to rescue, redeem, and heal those who've been sinned against and are victims of injustice. He came to rescue and, and heal those who have boatloads of shame and can't get away from their past. He came to rescue and be identified with outsiders and marginalized and bring them in. And He came to heal and rescue people who trust in Him and still make a mess of their life. Is that you tonight? Because here's the beware. The people who miss Jesus are those who don't think they need a hero. It's those who think they're fine. It's the self-righteous. It's the proud. It's those who have it all together. But if it is you, then I'm inviting you tonight and I'll invite you every week to see the hero Jesus. That everything you hold up against Him, He's bigger and better. Why don't you come back and keep investigating Jesus, the hero who can. Let me pray. Father, we thank You for uh, the way that Matthew opens uh, this Gospel. Um, it introduces to a hero that we wouldn't have made up, that we wouldn't have imagined, um, the one who really did come. He came into space and time, uh, into a world that's broken and dark and filled with death. And He took it upon Himself and He went to the cross so that He could begin a healing project in His kingdom that would one day overtake the world. I pray that we would see tonight that You are good and we receive that in Jesus' name. Amen.